If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals, chief goals. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Players, do you need to make next season your best season ever? Or are you tired of putting in all the hours in the gym and not getting the results you deserve? Thousands of players attend PGC camp every year to discover how to think the game, be a playmaker, and run the show. We'll send you back to your team a smarter player, a better playmaker, an improved leader, and better equipped to foster a championship culture next season. I've had many of my own college players attend a PGC camp, and it's always had a huge impact on them on and off the court. You can go to pgcbasketball.com to find a camp near you. That's pgcbasketball.com. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Hardwood Hustle broadcasting here in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, alongside T.J. Rosine. Just finished up getting a chance to watch the Washington Mystics practice, and we are here now joined by the main guy, Coach Tebow. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, getting ready for a game, so it's, it's, it's all good. And it's a big game. Yeah, it is a big game. I mean, I don't, I don't try to make one game bigger than another for our players. Um, but the way the season has gone and with all the hype that uh, Las Vegas has had versus us, uh, it's hard to ignore that it's probably a big game, uh, especially given the events of the earthquake last weekend, too, where we have a suspended yeah. game with them pending later in the season. So uh, we have to finish the second half. That's, that's a new one on me. Yeah. <laughs> how does the preparation potentially change for a bigger game for you? How, how would your players maybe feel that – or, or is it literally the it, same? It really, it really is the same. Okay. Um, you know, I think the only difference is that, you know, you've played a team a couple times. You have a familiarity about some things. So you can go into uh, preparation the day before and the day of, and the players automatically know what you're talking about. We could walk out today and say, okay, we're going to go through – um, Las Vegas' spread offense, or we're going to go through their twirl offense. And our players are locked in already because we just played them twice in the last month. So that's a little bit easier. But we really don't treat uh, a game like this any different uh, than a Tuesday night game against somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the media treats it more, the fans treat it more, but any I, I know you feel it when you walk in the gym, but I think the one thing our team has been good about the last two years is you know, basically just playing whatever's in front of us. I mean, we've had a, a motto that uh, we've kind of stuck with that when we walk in every day, the goal is to walk out better than we walked in. Mm. And if you do that on a consistent basis, then everything else kind of takes care of itself. Powerful. So let's, for other coaches that are listening here, let's walk us through that a little bit preparation-wise. Do you have kind of a routine, like, a day before practice or a two-day before practice, like something that you're trying to – what percentage is spent on your opponent? What percentage is spent on your execution? Do you have a kind of a formula that you, you use to prepare? Yeah, and I think it depends a little bit on whether you're going to have a shoot-around on game day. So tomorrow we'll have a shoot-around for our game. So um, – we won't cover everything today that we might have if we didn't have it. If it was a day game tomorrow and we didn't have a shoot around, we might have covered a little bit more today. But basically, for a couple of days out, this week we, we haven't played 
since uh, Wednesday. So we got Thursday, Friday, and then a game on Saturday. So Thursday was basically a maintenance day for this team. We've been on the road so much. Uh, we shot. Uh, we got you know players watching individual film with coaches. Got treatment from the trainers, uh, and and it was geared toward you know like you would do almost like preseason workouts. Yeah. And then today was a day that was focused uh, kind of fifty-fifty. It was fifty percent on Las Vegas's sets and how we defend them and matchups. And we watched film beforehand. Uh, the film was split in two parts. It was our defense from the other day against uh, Phoenix, and then our defense. Uh, when we played Vegas the last two times. And so we focused on that. We carried that part to the court uh, and covered that. And then the last 40% of practice was more our offensive execution, regardless of who we were playing, but with a little bit of an emphasis on how they defend our pick and rolls more than anything else. So it was really interesting watching, you know, in the college game and comparing it to the pro game. And when you hear college coaches or college philosophies, you'll hear a lot about, like, you know, we're a, we're a pressure team, we're a denial, we're a pack line. We're, and, and watching what you were going over today is pretty much the majority of all pro basketball. There's so many sets run that you're, you're spending more time guarding actions than you are actually, like, building a philosophy of funnel the ball this direction. No, or. it's both. And, 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 and we have a basic philosophy. I mean, we're a no-middle team. We funnel the ball to the sidelines. I mean, I think people would know that by watching us. Mm. I think we're one of the teams that's somewhat clear about what our philosophy, philosophy is, is. As, far, as far as where we force the ball. We ice a lot of pick and rolls on the side. Um, how we rotate or don't rotate depends on scouting report. Mm. Um, so I think in pro basketball, you have two factors that, that factor in, is in in your defense that are a little bit different than college and high school. Number one, uh, the shorter shot clock makes mm. a big difference in what, what you think you can do to, to put people in tough situations. Uh, the three-point line obviously has a lot to do with it. We try to keep the ball on the side and, and make people have to play on one side because we don't want penetrate and kick where you have to help off of three-point shooters. We try to take away three-point shooters. It's such a big thing in the game. But the last part is the defensive rules. The defensive three seconds really changes the game from college and pros. You can't play a true pack line. You can't play you know, an eye in the middle of the lane because of the defensive three seconds. So uh, a lot of what we do is geared toward can you help and get back out or can you help and come across and, and clear yourself out of the lane. And we don't, we don't overly worry about it, but you, can't, you just can't camp there like you if I was teaching the same stuff in college that I'm doing here I think we could be even better at what we do because we could camp in the lane and help a little bit better mm-hmm. you know you're having to come from farther away to help people because of the defensive three second rules so are you making decisions so for instance like uh, how you guard the pick and roll would somewhat be based on their personnel but exactly. also what about your personnel like are you I mean if you have you know Guards that can switch it are they and makes that's a big it, difference. They're switching, and if you have the ones that don't, it's not a, it's not an overarching philosophy. For example, uh, we, we have a situation where we're going to play pick and rolls. If Natasha Cloud is involved in the pick and roll, who's six feet, she can switch and guard a lot of the posts at least you know for five six seconds in our league. Whereas if you have Christy Tolliver guarding it and you're five eight, uh, and you, you're you're switching on to Asia Wilson or Liz Cambage, that doesn't work. So there are situations where 
in a scattering report, we would have her switch, but then we would have a big across come across the lane and kind of bump her out to the weak side. So you've got a little bit of zone philosophy behind your man-to-man principles. I think a lot of it has to do, as you mentioned, in personnel, can the post player that's setting a pick and roll, can they pop and shoot threes? Are they roll people or are they pop people? If they do both, you know, are we going to rotate to them? Are we going to switch and, and kind of hand it off? Mm-hmm. So we, we look at a basic philosophy and then we say, okay, based on personnel of the other team, here's our tweak for this game. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some guards that you that know they, they will stop behind a screen and shoot a three and you have to fight over and all of them. Others never look to shoot it and they're going to try to turn the corner on you. So you play that one a little bit differently. You have your basic coverage, but you can play a little softer on somebody or a little bit more aggressively depending on who it is. Mm-hmm. So our players, I mean, they're, they have to be locked into personnel. And that's yeah. the one good thing about the pros is that over the course of your career, if you've been in the league for a few years, you really understand who you're playing against. Whereas a college kid, you're going to see, you know, non-conference opponents never. Never, yeah. And then when you get to a conference, you know, game, uh, you, you're going to see them twice uh, with most teams, sometimes only once. But you notice in college, it's really interesting. Um, and, I, and I look at statistics every year because I do some TV for college, and then obviously we're looking at kids for the draft. Yeah. Kids have a lot higher shooting percentage in non-conference than they do in conference uh, as a general rule. You know, maybe the stars stay the same, but as a general rule, your own conference knows you. They Absolutely. pick you apart. They find every weakness as opposed to somebody who only sees you one time. So that's the good thing in our league is you see people enough, you can really lock in to strengths and weaknesses. That's so good. Coach, you said earlier this week you had a maintenance day. Uh, I want to talk about that balance uh, of resting and understanding your players' bodies and their needs. And, and I think there's a coaching notion and belief, especially maybe older school coaches, you push, you push, you push, and there's a bigger emphasis yeah. now of the balance. Talk about that. Was, has that been a shift in your coaching career over the years? Have you started to evolve to it, or has it kind of always been front of mind? Um, it's been in front of me f- for a long time because a lot of my background was the NBA and an 82-game season, and knowing you know the guys are playing 30 to 40 minutes a night. Um, you know, I worked for good coaches in the NBA who knew when to push and when to back off. And there are days that hey, today's got to be a shooting day, or today's a you know treatment and film day. Uh, because we've been traveling, we're on the road, we've played four games in seven days. Um, that's a big deal. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the, the, the new catchwords are load management. I mean, we heard yeah, that, yeah. you know. But but really all that means is rest. That's you know, fair. it's you know, like I say load man, but it means, you know, getting the proper rest. And, and so um, the biggest thing for me was figuring out when I came to this league, we have players because of salaries that play year-round. Uh, and they don't get the same off time that NBA guys get. They play less minutes. I mean, they play year-round, but they play less minutes, but they don't get that two- to three-month break to let your body completely Neither do high heal. schoolers these days yeah. either. Well, and, and that's a real issue. If you saw the article yeah. in the ESPN yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last couple days, that's a very true thing. Is, is we're, burning, we're burning kids out mentally, and we're burning them out physically probably way too early. I want to take a quick halftime break and come back to it after, uh, after we catch up with our friends over at Team Snap. Coaches, we all want our players communicating better on the floor. Night communication, N-I-T-E, names. First of all, we want to make sure they're communicating with names. If I wanted Adam to do something and I wanted to make sure that he heard the command, I would say, Adam. 
turn up the volume. I would use his name first. It's the sweetest sound of the English language. People love hearing their name. Teach your players to make sure that they are using names every single day when they're communicating in practice. And coaches, I know you want to communicate with your team better. You need to go check out teamsnap.com forward slash PGC. Teamsnap.com forward slash PGC. You're going to get a four-month free trial. And if you want your practices, your games, and your meetings to run more smoothly, you need to check out Team Snap. And I promise your team's program will run smoother. I spent a lot of time in the high school space. I've got a young man who's a high-profile rising junior who said to me the other day he's going to play over 100 games in between his high school seasons. That's crazy. 100 games. No no person at that age, I think, is prepared for that. Their body. They may not feel it now. They may feel it when they're 24 or 25. We, We see players come into our league who are now products at the women's level who are having what we would call older age injuries, mm. and we're seeing them in their early 20s, uh, stress reactions that shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, the increased AAU games, the increased high school summer leagues, uh, the college, you know, mentality of kid, i got to get in the gym. I, I'm a big believer that when you go to do workouts as a player in the off season, you go with a goal, you do your goal, and you get out. I'm never impressed by a kid that goes and tells me, hey, I got up 500 shots yesterday. That doesn't make any difference. I'd rather see a kid get up 100 shots at game speed with a goal and how many can they make out of 100 and get out of there. That's more important to me that they're doing it right. For us, you know, you know I said we, you know, they go year-round. So for me the trick was how do I get them a break and let them get rested both mentally and physically. So, you know, when we see our schedule come out, it's hard to do what the NBA does and say, well, you just get to take these three or four games off. 82 games, you can do that. 34, you could be in trouble if you do that. Yeah. And, you know, the only time people really miss games for us is a true injury. But what we try to do is say, hey, we can't have them on the court for, you know, two hours in a day. Today was a perfect example. We, we were in the gym uh, in the building for about two and a half hours. We were actually on the court for about 65 to 70 minutes at max. Mm. Uh, We did film room stuff. We did, you know, treatment stuff. But from the time we were done stretching till the time we were done practicing was about 60 minutes. That's about what we could do. Uh, We're going to play a game tomorrow, and then we're going to give them two days off completely. I don't want to see them. Mm. Uh, If they come in on the second day, they can come in and shoot, and they can get treatment. But we're not practicing for two days. We don't play till next Friday. They need to catch up. And you saw as a coach, you're trying to steal days to let them get their bodies caught up. Did you always have that security? I mean, because I feel like a lot of coaches, they get that insecurity. They feel like they're falling behind, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of coaches, and I think that's probably growing up for me, maturing a little bit as a coach. Um, you know, but I, I always felt like I wanted to treat my players like I would have liked to have been treated when I played. And I always thought back about what days were a grind. And did they need to be a grind or not? There are days you need to have a grind. You need to have your players fight through some stuff. You know, you need that part just to, to learn to slog through tough times. But I don't think that has to be an everyday thing. Um, you know, I, I go back and forth with college coaches about, you know, hey, we're going to get them up for, uh, for a month now. We're going to go at 6 a.m. every day. You know, sometimes you have to do that because of class schedules. But to do it, we're going to make them tougher. And I'm back to, and I'm, I'm talking to sleep doctors and psychologists <laughs> and, you know, physiotherapists and all the people. What a change. All those injuries. And I'm trying to say, hey, you know what? 
if every if every medical expert is telling people that between the ages of 14 and 22 they need more sleep, why am I going to take that sleep away from them? You know, and I just feel like uh, as a basketball coach. You feel guilty sometimes. God, we haven't covered enough. There's always one more thing to cover. Mm-hmm. The reality is your, the attention span of your players is only limited to a certain mm-hmm. amount anyway. So let's get their attention span at max, figure out what they learn best at, how they learn it, and maximize that. You know, we're going to play Vegas tomorrow. They got probably 25 plays. We covered five today because they're the five that take up 65% of their offense. Mm-hmm. If our players know that, We'll help them with the other stuff, yeah. but their body—they're gonna. There's a point of no return in a yeah. practice as it is. That's so good. Talk a little bit, Coach. Outside of the X's and O's and the preparation, um, like a little bit about culture, about leadership. You know, I know it's a little bit different approach with pros as they they get a little bit more mature. But over your time in coaching, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. The uh, we've interviewed a few of your players, yeah. which have been phenomenal um, ladies as far as their um, their their approach and Very the character of, yep. of yeah. So it's been a pleasure. And we pride ourselves on that too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's there's a whole purpose. When you're talking about culture, getting the play the right players is the start of your culture. And, and what? But what, give us some some things you do. What does that look like? What are just some little nuances of building your culture that are really important to you? Um, maybe the best way to explain it is when I came here from Connecticut. The team that I inherited had gone six and twenty-eight and five and twenty-nine, and they weren't bad players. They weren't great players. They weren't bad people, but they didn't have a connection. And so, I think the first thing that we looked for to change was the day-to-day enthusiasm and energy level. And so, you have to have players who love the game that like being in the gym you're not going to like being in the gym every day but you know that that you want to be there to get better Mm -hmm. so uh that's the first thing so when we got here we went out and traded or got free agents two players who weren't the best players in the league but they changed our culture as far as energy when i got ivory lotta from north carolina who was a free agent at the time and we traded for kia vaughn who had played at rutgers and played in new york in our league and they were hard-nosed High energy, enthusiastic people, and it changed the locker room. And that's at the front of, at the, near the at top the of the list is the, why us, we're going after yeah, these. That's the first thing. The second thing is they got to be good teammates in the regard that um, they're going to try to lift each other up. I mean, that's a big thing for me is that every person on your team is going to have a point or more in the season where they struggle. Are you helping your teammate get through that time or not? And I think that was a big thing for us. Can you can you energize your teammate? Can you be there for him? Uh, I, I think that's a big part of it. I think the other thing that's really hard, and it was probably harder for me in the women's game than the men's game to get over to players, was conflict is okay. Conflict with bad consequences where you take things personally is the problem. Mm. And I think one of the hardest things in our league is to find leadership that you can go at a teammate to improve them without demeaning a teammate or Mm. without um, being on the receiving end and having hurt feelings. I think, Mm. you know, I said to our team every year, and we're getting closer, and was a conversation today with our team because we've struggled the last week. I don't think you ever reach your potential as a team if the coaches are still doing all the leading. Mm-hmm. I think it, until you get to the point where 
your best players are your best leaders, and that's what happens every day. You won't get all of your potential, and that's what we're trying to get to is our last part. We're better. We're good at it. Well, I don't know if we're great at it yet. Mm. Um, and so I think that's a big thing in culture is having players who aren't afraid to make mistakes and correct them, who aren't afraid to being coached. You know, you have to you have to be willing to be coached, knowing that it's for your betterment instead of you know feeling like you know somebody's tearing you down. I don't think any coach can do a good job if their players think that they're being torn down without being built back up mm-hmm. right away. And I think that that's part of a culture thing for us too. You just want to get good people in your program who like each other, that can talk to each other, that don't go their separate ways all the time. I, one of my favorite things is to look at our team in a row and seeing nine, ten people going out together for dinner mm-hmm. uh, because they because they like to, not because yeah. somebody's made them do it. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they get per diem. We don't have a lot of team dinners once the season starts. We have a few on the road uh, where I'll take everybody out, but that's their time. And, and when you see a bunch of them going out, that you know that part of your team, they like each other. They want to yeah. do you know, do the right thing by each other. And, and culture is still, you know, it means something different to every team. Uh, but here, you know, the other part of a culture here is that the players know here that coaches, ownership, all management people were kind of all on the same side. I mean, you walked in this facility, they know that our ownership cares about them. Yeah. I mean, they've tried to do yeah, all the right things. Absolutely. They're not making an MBA salary, but they're making an MBA lifestyle as far as, you know, do we have the right doctors? Do we have the right medical equipment? Do we have the right training room? Do we have the right practice court? Do we? We're trying to do all. That's part of your culture too. Yeah, and I'm from, I'm from Georgia. Coming up in this, my first time in this facility, yeah. and uh, what an amazing facility! Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and even yeah. some of your players already commented on it, right? Yeah. Just just how impressive it is. And you know, you speak about you know you can't do all the leading. Just a little piece of feedback. It was on display out there. Your players will step up and lead. Yep. And I actually felt like you did a great job. You obviously are in charge, but you're not controlling every dynamic of the practice. There were times, and actually yeah. were, there was people getting vocal, yeah. right? We, use, we talk about an exercise in our program, lead them up, about beating the coach. There were times they beat you to the whistle to address things. Exactly. And it was a good day for me in that regard because yeah. I was biting my tongue a couple of things, waiting to see if it would be said, and it was said. And it was. So, you know, that's, and, that's and, when and, you know you're making progress. And it was received, right? Yeah. And like, and I think Ariel Atkins talked about this about her role of like, and her self awareness was so good on this. She said, you know, I'm a leader follower. Like, there's moments I need to lead, but I also need to be a great follower. And in that moment's kind of what you were talking about. Some of your players were speaking up, getting kind of forceful, yeah. right? Kind of challenging. You've got to be able to receive that well, and that's part of that's that. Just one of the, culture, yeah, that's right? one of the hardest things in a culture is to receive. To receive, yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, oh. when, when I was jumping on that, that practice, one of the things I noticed, Coach, that, and for our coaches that are listening, one of the really good things that I saw going on out there uh, was everybody filling a role really, really well. So when you needed to, you stepped in and you know took the bull by the horns. Your assistant coaches did a great job of peppering the air. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, hey, you didn't curl that screen tight enough. Hey, the spacing right here is not good. They'd step in, and they wouldn't overtake practice and just go on for 10 minutes. They'd come in, they'd get their point across, and move on, get to the next one. And then you had players stepping in there and, and, and picking up the, the energy or whatever needed to be in that moment. So you saw leadership from all three areas, from the head coach, the assistant coach, from the players, and everybody was filling their role really well. Well, I hope it's that way every day. There are days you walk out of there and you say, oh, come on, we got to get better. Yeah. But, you know, in, in general, we're, we're, we're doing, I think, I, I feel like we're doing 
things in the right direction. Yeah. Coach, I want to ask you as we wrap up here, you're the winningest coach in WNBA history. Means I'm old. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you've seen more wins than any other coach in, in this league. And I think coaches are always wanting to get better. They're always wanting to grow. And most likely people are coming to you to try to help them grow. But how are you continuing to grow? Right? Like what, where are you going to? Who are you going to? What are some of the influences driving your personal growth? Boy, I, I, I probably have all sorts all over the place. I mean, number one, I'm a basketball junkie as far as just watching games at the pro level, both men and women, watching college men and women. I watch high school practices occasionally. Uh, I remember going through the AAU experience with my daughter uh, and watching different ways. So, you know, you form opinions uh I go back, there's, you know, like if I see a coach that I think, you know, that guy's really got a lot of things. I'll get back on synergy or something, and I'll say, you know, this coach, uh, for example, I'll give you Bob McKillop at Davidson, Mm -hmm. runs a ton of great out-of-bounds plays. Mm -hmm. So I'll get on and watch 50 of their out-of-bounds plays and say, that that one there, that fits our team. Um, So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it, um, and we do it with our staff, and we send each other articles, and uh, we bounce ideas off each other. Hey, did you see what this sports psychologist said about this, or did you see what this book on leadership is? Or, you know, I mean, we have a, we have a, a sports psychologist, we have a strength and conditioning coach, we have a couple player development coaches. You know, uh, Sefu will come in, and I'll talk. We'll talk about you know player development. Hey, is there a new way we can get to this person, both mentally and physically? Mm. Um, I read a lot. Uh, probably not as much as I used to. Uh, but I just think that if you think you know it all, then you should quit coaching mm-hmm. because you don't. I don't think you ever do uh, as a coach. Um, I've tried to surround myself with the coaching staff that's not afraid to tell me I'm wrong mm. uh, about something. Uh, and we, we have heated arguments sometimes. My son and I go at it in front of the others. They probably look at us. The rest <laughs> of the staff looks at us like, are you kidding me? But, but we don't take it personally. You know, we'll get mad, but we'll walk out and we're fine yeah. because it's behind closed doors. It's not in front of your players. I think you have to challenge yourself uh, to see new ways of doing things. We have a defensive scheme we put in about a year ago that nobody else was really doing. We kind of stumbled on it. I don't even remember how it started, but, but my son Eric came to me and said, you know, why don't we think about you know, doing this? And we worked out in practice, and it was something that was new. I had never done as a coach before, and it's fit our team. And if you aren't willing to do that, you're going to stay stuck. You're going to get behind. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, we appreciate your time, and uh, best appreciate luck as you continue it. through the season, and, and we appreciate your insight and wisdom you shared today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, lot, Coach. I'm Adam. He's TJ. Together, we are the Harwood Hustle. Until next time, we're out.